Hey everyone, over 900,000 Texans have lost Medicaid since April. Why is that? Plus, how the purchase of an anesthesiology group led to a Federal Trade Commission lawsuit. And oil prices are shooting up, so are we about to feel it in our pockets once again? Here to break it all down is Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz and the dynamic media personality herself, Antrichel Nova. It's September 29th, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Okay, the last time we left you when Antrichel was on CityCast Houston, she was just going to show up to the Beyonce concert and just have a good time outside. The next thing I know, Antrichel, is you are inside NRG, floor seats, and having the time of your life. <laughs> what changed? How did you get in? Let us know. Come on. Listen, I walked into the NRG parking area with no ticket and high expectations, and boom, it happened. All I can say is a great time was had. There were scammers involved, slight kidnapping. Somebody threw up and had to be carried out in a wheelchair, but it was a night I will never, ever forget. <laughs> And that's all I can say Hold about on, that. Hold on, back up, nope. back up. <laughs> Hold on, back up. You, what happened? This is like the aristocrats joke. Where did the throw up come out of? Wait, what? Listen, somebody got sick on the road, the section in the middle of the concert. And uh, yeah, we had to get up out of there because she was ruining the fun. So I was security. <laughs> And they had to come get her. She she did too much pre-gaming, darling. She did too much pre-gaming and she almost ruined everyone's night. But I'm so glad everyone on that row worked together quickly to get her up and out of there because she was alone or she didn't even have any friends. So, but it was a great, great night, guys. <laughs> All right. So I think that's all you can say without getting in trouble, Correct. right? I that's just know it. there's a scammer involved. There's a scammer involved. Uh, okay. Slight kidnapping, throw up, and a wheelchair. Hey. Oh, my That's gosh. the best kind of night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, there will be no scamming and throw up involved, hopefully, on this episode. So let's jump into it. What was your biggest story of the week, Andrew Shell? Listen. Uh, this one is pretty big. Everybody's talking about the two people that surrendered in Houston in a connection to a drug ring looking to smuggle $1 million worth of drugs into U.S. prisons. They're saying that this is cartel level and this has lots of people looking for these two. Not only were the U.S. Marshals looking for these people, but also the streets. And it's pretty Big. Um, two people turned themselves in in Houston, Texas. They were wanted in Louisiana and they turned themselves into Houston community activist Quanell X to help them get surrendered safely um, and into police custody. Now, Quanell X says it's one of the most dangerous cases that he's dealt with only because there are street elements looking for them and the law enforcement at the same time. Louisiana law enforcement had a news conference and they tabled all the drugs and contraband that they found. These people had $1.2 million worth of K2 and over 10,000 worth of up subconin and 4,000 worth of THC wax. This is pretty big and it started with a traffic stop. Ladies and gentlemen, this is still developing to see what's going on, what's happening. 
and how we're going to get past this. Wow. I'm just trying to figure out who is still buying and selling K2 in the year 2023. I mean, what like actual marijuana is legal across like a vast portion of the United States. Like who's out there with K2 now? Well, you have to understand they were smuggling this into the U.S. prisons. They had a list of seven prisons Mm. that they were on their way to and Mm. a traffic stop caused all of this and they had a list um, and I think they were probably on stop one maybe two you know that's still being confirmed but guys this is huge and they turned themselves in safely here in Houston mm-hmm. wow we'll see what happens with that story because yeah this is going to go pretty deep how about you Evan what was your biggest story of the week oh, I think the biggest story of the week is looking at oil prices flirting with triple digits 100 Houston is rich again. We did it, you guys. I know things were touch and go there a little bit through COVID. Oil prices were plummeting, but we're back in the money. But even though oil prices are reaching these big high numbers, we're not seeing a big spike in jobs. We're not seeing a big spike in capital expenditures and new drilling. All the oil companies are focused on making profit after a decade of investment. Back throughout the last decade, oil companies and their investors were saying just pump, 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 drill, baby, drill. Now they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not spend any more money. Let's just rake in the cash. And we're lucky because right now, Russia and OPEC have the same idea. They're not really increasing production. Nobody's putting the squeeze on their competitors. Everyone's just letting the money flow. Meanwhile, oil production in the United States is at record highs, along with natural gas production. I know there's a lot of partisan rhetoric out there about who hates oil and who loves oil, but I got to say, things are looking okay under Joe Biden. So how much higher do you think it will go? You know, I saw someone out there saying when oil starts to get to 50, all the pundits say, well, it could hit 40 or 30. And when it hits 90, they say, well, it could get 100, 110. But I think it'll probably settle out around now because at a certain point, just it's too easy to make more money by pumping more. And that brings prices back down. Now, it stinks for everyone out there facing gas prices at three or four dollars. And that's really going to have an effect, I think, on the upcoming presidential election if prices don't come back down. But for those of us in an oil state, I don't have too much to complain about. Yeah, I was shocked because in our house, we have one electric vehicle and then we have one hybrid. And I filled up the hybrid. My wife usually fills that one up. And I was like, wait, hold on. I live in an insulated world of electricity, okay? When did gas prices hit over $3? This was wild. Yeah. No, I think that folks didn't think oil prices would get this high, but the economy keeps growing. People keep getting jobs. We're still spending money. I think it's a sign of economic health. Yeah. When you're not paying attention to certain things and then all of a sudden you're filling up your gas tank where it normally takes you $35 and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, 55? Yeah, you definitely have to start paying attention to things. And I'm definitely one of those people who live in a world of unicorns and rainbows. (laughs) But when you start hitting my pocket at the gas tank, I got to pay attention. So, yeah, this is this is this is this is a lot. (laughs) Evan, any fear of what happened a couple of years ago where gas prices shot up and everything else shot up and we were all feeling that squeeze, any chance of that occurring now in the next few months because of gas prices being this high and oil being this high? You know, that's a really good question. I think that right now we're still in a period where inflation is higher than where we want it to be. You know, higher interest rates are supposed to take money out of the market and slow things down. Ideally, 
increasing taxes, particularly on the wealthy, would help slow that down, but that's going to rely on Congress. But anything like this, where you've got money going into something else, helps cool off the economy a little bit. And so I think that gas prices just being a little higher, if anything, are going to be a healthy stabilizer. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one as well. I'm going to go to my biggest story of the week, and it was the final state of the city as Mayor Turner held his big address. And the theme this year was a lasting legacy. Mayor Turner talked about his last eight years as mayor, big projects, including the I-45 expansion project, the Sunnyside Solar Farm, Metro's BRT corridor, Solid Waste Northeast Transfer Station, which is being built right now. There's so many cool projects in the works. And of course, Mayor Turner guided the city through two major events, Hurricane Harvey, the COVID-19 pandemic. I want to get your thoughts on this one. What will you remember Mayor Turner for as he delivered his final State of the City address this past week? I'm going to always remember Mayor Turner for being a pillar in the community. He's always been successful. And the wind, <laughs> Houston shut down. He was like, chill, COVID. That's all I remember when he kept saying, COVID. That was, I, re- <laughs> I will never forget that ever. Almost like when Cardi B was doing coronavirus. But those are things that I remember. <laughs> and that's going to stay with me forever. Oh, I, I think for me, it's absolutely the pension reform he got through. You know, Bill White couldn't pull it off, and East Parker couldn't pull it off. Sylvester Turner did it. And no matter what else happened during the rest of his term, his accomplishment there really puts him like in the list of best mayors of my lifetime. It's incredible the financial footing that he put the city on through that. And now the next mayor is going to have some new challenges too, and we'll see if they can navigate it as well as he did. Yeah, Ashley Brown of Houston Public Media reported on the story and she brought up the budget, right? The city approved a $6.2 billion budget in June. And look, Mayor Turner is going to leave the city in better financial shape, but he did get a nice boost from the American Rescue Plan. And that is the big fear, right, Evan? It's like, what's going to happen once all those funds dry up? Where is the city going to be? And there are a lot of red flags being raised right now in potential issues. No, that's absolutely true. Even with the pension reform, we're still not a long-term stability, uh, and there's still long-term health care costs that the city needs to tackle, in addition to just regular spending as those federal dollars dry up. All right, Andrew Shell, let's get to your most overlooked story of the week. So let's talk about the most overlooked story of the week that I have, and that is the drag ban ruled unconstitutional by federal judge. The reason why I feel like this is overlooked is because when they put it out, it was so much controversy, uh, like, oh, yes, this is good. This is bad. Everybody's the same. But now that it's been um ruled unconstitutional or overturned, now ain't nobody saying nothing. So let's talk about it. The Senate Bill 12, also known as the drag ban, was seen to contend its primary goal is to shield children from explicit and sexualized content. At the same time, the opponents believe it it curtails the rights of artists and businesses to express themselves freely. There's a lot of heat on drag queens um, saying that they're inappropriate, uh, they shouldn't be performing in front of minors. Everybody has to be 18 years old. Well, these people are just living their life and being entertainers, if you will. So what do you guys think about this? 
you know, beyond all that, I, it just comes down to the, the main thing, right? It's a First Amendment issue and not being able to express yourself because of this. That's why it was overturned. So it just comes down to First Amendment rights. And it, if that's what we're all about, like, hey, let's have those rights and let's fight for them, which I love. Yeah. I just can't believe that this has been the thing that the state focused on. Mm -hmm. And you talk to elected officials and they say, oh, we're looking out for the kids. We care about the kids. Kids got a lot of issues in Texas. They're losing health care. There's lead pipes out there. There's pollution in the air. Their schools don't have the resources they need. Like maybe focus on those things with the kids. And then once you get through like the top 20 issues, you can get to like, all right, are too many kids seeing inappropriate drag shows? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Let's research (laughs) the issue. It's just a joke to me that we have spent so much time and energy as a state focused on this one thing. It really is absurd. Absolutely. Yeah. It would be nice to get more money and more attention to schools. And as you mentioned, healthcare, I have a story coming up that I want to talk about that focuses on that. But, you know, that wouldn't be a culture war. And that's not (laughs) what we want. Right. We want to fight about stuff like this. How about you, Evan? What was your most overlooked story? Well, I think the most overlooked story is litigation by the Federal Trade Commission against U.S. anesthesia partners, a private equity-owned chain of hospitals that provide anesthesia services that basically rolled up every single large anesthesia practice in Texas, bought them all up, created a monopoly, and jacked up prices. It is incredible to finally see the FTC come down on this sort of practice, which up till now has become increasingly routine in healthcare. You see hospitals consolidating markets, buying up their competitors, and jacking up prices, not just because they don't have competition anymore, but also because they can bill higher because they can say, well, we're a hospital now. The doctor's office you used to go to gets bought by a hospital. Suddenly, they can put facility fees on your bill. Suddenly, they can charge Medicare more. And in fact, the Houston Chronicle ran an op-ed from a local doctor complaining about this problem. Luckily, Congress is actually tackling this. Lizzie Fletcher, who's on the Energy and Commerce Committee, voted for a unanimously supported bipartisan bill that would help fix the loophole in some health services that really let them charge more for the same service. If passed, it would save taxpayers up to $4 billion over 10 years, and it would finally end this bizarre incentive for hospital consolidation and help protect functioning markets. Nobody designed things to work this way. Nobody wants to incentivize bad consolidation in the healthcare markets. We need to fix it and it deserves more attention than it's getting right now. If you want your blood to boil, just look into the healthcare industry (laughs) and stuff like this just makes me so mad, right? People taking advantage of a system that is so complicated and so hard to figure out for patients that Mm -hmm. you can basically just do whatever you want and who's going to fight back. So it is nice to see that our lawmakers are fighting back and those in charge are fighting back and trying to cut this crap out. Mm -hmm. It really makes me happy to see that Democrats, Republicans, everybody's on board with this. I think just because things are so awful that they feel like they have to act. And there's a broad coalition of patients and employers and doctors and insurance companies all saying, like, listen, nobody intended to pay hospital companies extra money when they buy up doctors' practices, when they consolidate markets. This isn't supposed to happen. I mean, like you said, you know, healthcare is a pretty touchy um, situation and it, it gets very heated. So I'm, my sentiment is exactly, I'm glad that we're fighting back. I'm glad that somebody's sticking it to the man. <laughs> <If you will. laughs> 
man, facility fees, because I'm one of those people when I do get a bill from the insurance or just anything, I look into it. I'm like, why did I get fined this? Why did I mm-hmm. get charged this? What is this? And facility fees are the wildest things. Like I've asked doctors about this. I've asked people who work in healthcare and they basically just make up whatever they want. It's like, that's their fee. Right. And if the insurance company agrees to pay it, then they, they're going to pay it. And some of that charge might be worked down to you and you might have to pay for it. So it's wild. And it is so shady. Mm-hmm. All right. My most overlooked story of the week, Neil Ambora reported on the Texas Tribune this week that more than 900,000 Texans have lost Medicaid since April and others are struggling to access SNAP benefits because of a huge backlog in the state's eligibility system that is run by humans and computers. Now, the system is running both Medicaid and SNAP. So there is a weird backlog in terms of you know, Medicaid forms not being filed correctly or some people getting cut off. And then when they fix that, the backlog then goes to the SNAP benefits. So now SNAP benefits are not being processed correctly. So it is a mess. Almost 600,000 Texans have been disenrolled due to procedural errors. And this is impacting seniors, children, and Texans with disabilities. According to an HHSC report from September, 54,000 Texas Medicaid applications were submitted just in the month of March, and they still hadn't been processed, y'all. We are in September. As of August, nothing was processed. So you have all these Texans who are trying to get these benefits and nothing is working out. The Texas Democratic Congressional Delegation did write a letter urging the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to require the state to pause all denials based on procedural errors and require an audit of the state system to bring it into compliance. Can we just get the basic stuff down? Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) I I think you really hit on something here, that we had a massive, healthy expansion of these important welfare services for people who are young, who are old, who are sick, and now suddenly we're undoing it. Why? Things were going well. It was a good step in the right direction. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep supporting people so that they can be healthy, so they can work, so they can contribute. It just seems like a penny-wise, pound-foolish attitude towards public policy. Absolutely. Health is wealth, guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can read more about the story and all of the stories in our show notes. All right, let's end the week on a high, some happy stuff here. What was your moment of joy, Andrew Shell? Listen, my moment of joy, and it just made me smile. And I don't know why, because I've never been to this venue, but it just made me smile because, you know, I love to see Houston on top. The Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion ranked number one outdoor entertainment venue in the world. Not the city, Craig, but the world, okay? Over this summer, 268,000 fans attended concerts between mid-June and mid-summer. And then they said, da-da-da-da, Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion ranked number one outdoor venue out of everybody okay and they're talking about against 
uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland, and the uh, Waldboom Berlin, Germany. So in Germany, they only had 198,000 attendees. And then in Maryland, they had 245,000 attendees. And Cynthia Woods Pavilion had 268,000 fans attend concerts. The biggest concert of the summer was Shania Twain, who sold 1.4 million tickets, making it the biggest shows of the summer. This is wonderful. And it is evident that the Pavilion is premier outdoor entertainment venue in the industry and is capable of drawing a significant audience to its diverse events. I'm proud. Now, I'm going to go to the Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion just to see what is all the hype about. You know, since 2007, they've really focused on bringing in really big acts. Like uh, just off the top of my head, I've seen Kanye West there, Coldplay, Dave Chappelle in a span of a couple of years. So and that's just like my taste. Right. And it's not even mentioning the other big acts that have come there. The management team there has really done a good job of bringing in big acts. And they really focused on this around 2007, 2008. So it's good to see them getting their flowers now. And it is a great venue in terms of acoustics, of ease of getting in, space, all that good stuff. So shout out to them. I love that. My question is, I've never been there. And the reason why I've never been there is because you say pavilion. I think about the Texas heat. I think about being outside. I think about being Mm -hmm. sticky. Is what I'm perceiving, is that true? It depends where you sit. In the seated area up front, they've got fans. It's a little bit cooler. In the back, there's a, a, a hill, a grass hill, and it does get hot. But, hey, we live in Houston, Aunt Rochelle. What do you, you expect? <laughs> Is it going to be cold in the summer? Come on. Listen, Raheel. You act I, like you're new here. Listen, Raheel, if you haven't noticed, I'm a bit bougie sometimes. And, darling, <laughs> those are the so moments. So you have to get those seats. Yeah, I you have to get the, the seats. seats. It is covered. Okay. Yeah, the seated area is covered, but... The grass area, it's a little bit more open, so it does get a little warm. But by the time the concert starts, it's a little bit later in the evening, in the summer at least. And it's fine. You're having a good time. Just wear some shorts and put your picnic blanket down (laughs) or your chair and then have a good time. Yeah, plus you're up in the woodlands. It's like a degree or two cooler than being down in Houston. It's it's a little bit nicer. It's South Dallas. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right. Don't worry about it. (laughs) How about you, Evan? What was your moment of joy? Oh, my moment of joy was reading an op-ed in the Houston Chronicle calling for Houston to host the World's Fair. And I was just tickled by reading someone calling for us to bring in this big international presence. You know, when I was younger, I remember Houston really pushing for the Olympics. And on paper, it makes a lot of sense. We've got all of these facilities all close to one another, nearly all entirely inside the loop. I mean, you could hold an Olympics and just bike between the venues rather than having them spread all across the state or even country as you see in other places. But of course, we don't have mass transit. We weren't going to bribe anyone and we're not going to build anything new. We're going to rely on the things that we've got. But maybe when it comes to a World's Fair, you know, we just put it out at NRG. We have people from around the world come talk about all their visions for the future because Houston always has been a place that's got its eye on the future. Maybe we won't have the most high-tech transportation systems, but we are a people who are always optimistic. And I think there's something critical about that. So I'd say, yeah, let's throw our hat in the ring. Let's try to host a World's Fair. Why not? Is the World's Fair just a big trade show now? It's like Is that what it is? 
like each country kind of pitches the thing that they want to talk about. Like the next one is going to be in 2027 in Belgrade. Uh, but it, I guess it's whatever you want to make of it. You have your own theme that you can put on it and you kind of get anyone from around the world to show up and talk about, I guess, whatever it is they want to talk about. So here's some things that were introduced at the World's Fair. All right, you ready? The touchscreen, uh, an exercise machine, pay at the pump for gas, an escalator or an elevator, and of course, the best one, juicy fruit, the best gum out there for about eight <laughs> seconds before it loses its flavor. Very so, good, Rahil. There's some cool things. Yeah. <laughs> you and I are about to have problems if you said juicy fruit was the best gum, period. Because I was like, you don't even last that long. But yes, the best gum for eight seconds. <laughs> eight seconds. Hey, story of my life. <laughs> you know, I, I just hope maybe this is something we could do with the Astrodome. We've got mm-hmm. it there. Let's like, let's make it the headquarters for the World's Fair. Let's just do it. I like it. I put my vote in. Yeah, too. finally. All right. My moment of joy. I talked about this a little bit earlier this month that Carly and I were going to be on a panel. And yesterday we were actually on that panel talking about podcasts in the city of Houston at the Miked Up Houston event. And it was so much fun. This event was put on by PodFest, which is a national organization connecting independent podcasters and forming a community and Pod Houston, which is the local chapter of PodFest. So it was so cool to see all of the creators and all these independent podcasters in one area. And we were at the For the One studio. So we were on this panel. We talked about how to grow the podcast, talking about our wins, some of our losses, some tips. It was so much fun. So I just wanted to give some love to Carly. She was great on the panel, by the way. She picked up my Slack, which was awesome. And I just had a great time. So that was my moment of joy, sharing the stage with Carly on Jones. That's hot. Congratulations, team. That sounds great. It was a lot of fun. All right, that will do it for this week. Thank you all so much for bringing these awesome stories. And we will talk to you down the road. All right, see ya. Talk to y'all next time. That was Evan Mintz and Antrichel Nova. You can read all of the stories that we talked about in our show notes. That will do it for this week here on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kespa. Our producer is Carleon Jones. Our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis. And the host is me, Raheel Ramzanali. Our music is by the band All the Kimonos. We'll be back on Monday with the first episode of a three-part series for our fall guide, looking at the best farms you need to visit. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. But I kind of feel like one to Sykes.